Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. From KQED. Michael Krasny, coming up next on Forum this morning, Californians may get a chance to bring affirmative action back to California nearly a quarter of a century after voters passed Prop 209, which amended the Constitution to bar state institutions from considering race, sex, or ethnicity in admissions, employment, and contracts. A measure to repeal Prop 209 has passed the state assembly and could appear on the November ballot. We'll discuss the measure, which UC regents unanimously voted to support yesterday, and what the nation's focus on systemic racism may mean for the fight to return affirmative action to California. That's next, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. Yesterday, the University of California Board of Regents unanimously voted to endorse a state measure to repeal Prop 209, a 1996 law that bars consideration of race and government contracts, public sector hiring, and college admissions. The repeal measure passed the California Assembly and, if ratified by the state Senate, will show up on the November ballot. Proponents argue that barring state agencies and institutions from considering race and gender has hindered equal representation and reinforced systemic advantages for white-owned businesses and white students. The measure comes at a time when prejudice and institutional racism in America are of great concern, and joining us to debate the issue and the prospects for restoring affirmative action in California is Vincent Pan. He's co-executive director of Chinese for Affirmative Action and co-chair of the Opportunity for All Coalition, which is leading the community effort to pass ACA 5. And welcome, Vincent Pan. Do we have Vincent Pan? Okay, well, presumably we will have him with us. We do have Ward Connerly, though, and Ward Connerly is founder and president of the American Civil Rights Institute, former UC regent. He helped lead the campaign for Proposition 209, and Ward Connerly has been a long time, but glad to have you back with us. Welcome. Glad to be with you. And we also are first going to talk with our own Katie Orr, a politics and government reporter for KQED, about the status of the measure. Katie, welcome. Hi. Hi. Well, where are we with this? Uh, it, it got two-thirds, which it needed from the Assembly. Now, presumably, it's going to go on to the Senate, where it will also need two-thirds. That's right. And um, it it's really remarkable because this is an effort that has been um, going forward in some way or fashion for more than 15 years in the state legislature, um, a move to uh, to reinstate affirmative action, at least on some level, and it's never gotten any traction. It's always stalled out. But in the current climate right now, you know, the protests we're seeing with Black Lives Matter, um, it has really gathered steam and it really passed through the assembly with a lot of momentum and it's expected to pass through the Senate with similar momentum, meaning voters will see it in November. Well, the Senate has to decide by the 25th of June. That's not a long time by legislative standards. It's not, but, you know, we see it all the time in the legislature. When an issue gets momentum, it can actually go through very quickly. And I'm sure that they will be able to uh, schedule all the hearings they need to and get it through because they realize that um, the proponents realize that the time is now, right? You have to strike while the iron is hot and they're going to take advantage of it. So I would not be surprised at all to see it make it through by that deadline. Well, let's just follow the trajectory, though, Katie, because if it does go through the Senate, then it goes to the voters on November 3rd and a majority vote will be needed. That's right. And of course, you know, nothing is for certain when it goes on the ballot. Um, I think proponents, again, are hoping that the current mood of voters uh, will help propel this issue forward. Um, we have seen high support, you know, more higher support than we've seen before for issues like Black Lives Matter. People are really invested in this. But again, November, especially in the world we as we know it today, is a long time away. <laughs> and, um, and of course, with the the economy, you have to raise money to, you know, promote these issues. So it's definitely not a slam dunk. But 209, we should also mention, not only prohibits preferred treatment uh, to and discrimination against uh, 
based on race, also sex, color, national origin, and ethnicity. That's right. And I think that's something that they will, um, that proponents will uh, promote as well, because it really was a, a very broad um, proposition. And I think uh, this is something, again, that the, the mood of the country is just changing and people have less patience um, for for issues um, like this than they did before. So I, I do think that, if, again, you, politics is all about timing, right? And proponents recognize that this is the time for them to put this measure forward again and hopefully have more success than they've seen in the past. Of course, the antagonists are saying the time is wrong now, but we'll get into that debate here. But is this uh, behind this is, I think, uh, certainly a concerted attempt to bring affirmative action back to California, bring it back into not only public schools and universities, but also state jobs and contracts. Yes, that's right. And I've spoken to people who say that Prop 209 um, was was so restrictive and the legal challenges that it brought up were um, so, uh, you know, scary to people that a lot of measures that they thought, you know, would possibly get off the floor weren't even brought forward because they were afraid of what they called a, a Prop 209 challenge, you know, a lawsuit, basically. So proponents of this believe that um, this proposition has stopped not just affirmative action, but a lot of different pieces of legislation from moving forward because of a possible challenge. And so they are motivated in more than just one way to um, repeal it. And we should say this is the this would be the first time the entire proposition w is repealed um, versus just tinkering around the edges or allowing affirmative action in like say education or just amending part of it, but just doing away with the proposition is a first with this measure. Katie Orr, always good to have you. Thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Katie Orr, politics and government reporter with KQED. I think we have Vincent Pan now. Vincent, are you here? Yes, I'm here. Okay, uh, let me go to you next then, and let, let's talk about your concern uh, about 209 and why you want to essentially see it repealed. The Board of Regents, as I said earlier, unanimously supports this. Uh, no real equity, as far as you're concerned, came out of 209? No, none at all. I think that repealing you know, Prop 209, passing ACA 5, is first and foremost about fighting discrimination and creating opportunity for all. Uh, but Prop 209 was a sweeping ban that really tied the hands of policymakers to make a real difference in advancing the type of racial justice and gender justice that most Californians want to see. Um, you know, I think in particular now in this Trump era of racism and xenophobia and sexism, most people realize that we have to do much, much better to be able to create the type of equality that uh, we stand for in California. And part of that means giving policymakers another tool in the toolbox. It's not the entire solution, but it's part of the solution. Uh, and affirmative action and equal, opp uh, equal opportunity programs like affirmative action uh, are part of that solution. Let me go to Ward Connerly, who had a lot to do with Proposition 209. That's an understatement. Uh, Ward Connerly, uh, the argument is that it was supposed to be race neutral and it didn't turn out that way. Well, I think it did turn out that way. Um, and that's, therein lies the problem for some. And they want the government to be involved in our lives to a, a very large extent. We have a lot of public agencies in this state and it is my view, and many of those who are, and all of those, I, I believe, who share my philosophy about this, is that the government should not be deciding your success or your loss on the basis of your color or where your ancestors came from or how you spell your last name. And that is something that I value and cherish. I did lead the 209 campaign. I'm opposed to ACA 5. Uh, there are good people on the other side who support this, I understand. But I believe that the University of California, which is one of the premier educational institutions in this nation, should look at every applicant uh, without regard to their background. And, and uh, I think history will vindicate me in that regard. Ward Connerly, again, is founder and president of the American Civil Rights Institute, former UC regent, and he did spearhead the Proposition 209 uh, campaign, which ended affirmative action here in California. Vincent Pan, again, is co-executive director of Chinese for Affirmative Action, 
co-chair of Opportunity for All Coalition, and they are leading the community effort to pass ACA 5. Uh, I should mention uh, your predecessor, Henry Durr, I remember we talked a good deal about this uh, back in the day, and the argument was uh, that it needed to be repealed even back then. Uh, in fact, in 2013, Ed Hernandez uh, introduced a repeal uh, for public schools. It passed, it got through the Senate, and then there was a really mobilized effort by Asian Americans for the most part uh, to kill it, and that was successful. Um, you feel that kind of opposition is still as strong now as it was back then, Vincent Pan? I think what we've seen both from the polling and from the community coalition that we've created is that you know, all Californians, including Asian Americans by a margin of two to one, do support affirmative action. Uh, we saw that in the assembly, eight out of the 10 Asian American Democrats voted in support of ACA 5. Um, but this isn't an issue just for Asian Americans. This is an issue for all people in California. Um, and, you know, I would just disagree with Mr. Connerly. I think that we've had, uh, you know, nearly 25 years of Prop 209 and uh, the types of structural racism and gender inequity that we have in our society have not gotten better to the pace that most people want. Uh, that's why there are people in the streets protesting about the murder of George Floyd and countless others. That's why uh, in response to the COVID pandemic, we know we need to be better because African-Americans and Latinx people are literally dying at disproportionate rates that we've seen a huge spike in anti-Asian uh, hate incidents. So as much as we want to believe that so-called race-blind or gender-blind policies uh, are the way to go, they simply have not been effective. And what Prop 209 did was ban, I think a lot of common sense programs that we could probably all get behind. For example, you know, the ability of the state to have and support a science camp for girls to be able to close you know, the disparities for girls and young women in the STEM fields. Now, that right now would be considered gender discrimination. The ability to make sure that small businesses owned by women and people of color that will need to participate in this recovery if California is going to recover you know, can get access to federal stimulus program dollars, um, you know, 90% small businesses owned by women and people of color were shut out in the latest round of federal stimulus dollars. So I think that there is an opportunity to have effective equal opportunity, pro equal opportunity programs that consider race and gender just as one of many factors. Uh, very, very rarely and pretty much never are they the only factor, but just allowing them to be considered one of many factors is think a better reflection of, of uh, the way the world works. Well, forgive me, Vincent, but the Supreme Court has allowed for race to be considered as a factor, but California has uh, pretty much subscribed to 209, which has uh, obviated that. I want to go back to Ward Connerly, though, and Ward, uh, some numbers are probably important here, and I'd like to get your response to them, because this has opened up uh, the opportunity in many people's minds, they see as an opportunity to bring affirmative action back, which you have been opposed to, as an African-American man, have been opposed to way back from way back when. Um, but affirmative action actually did elevate, I mean, the numbers are, don't lie, black and Latino students system-wide by 12%. But then when 209 kicked in, the numbers went down 10% for black students and 7% for Latino students. It was even much higher in the UC system at schools like UCLA and uh, uh, UC Berkeley, which were much more competitive. How do you figure those statistics in terms of keeping 209? Well, I think if you look at the history here, yes, it is true that the number of what what the university calls underrepresented minorities uh, did go down in the immediate aftermath of 209, and that's because the university was no longer allowed to use a person's race or ethnic background or color or national origin uh, in their in, in their decision making. But then over time, the university adopted measures like comprehensive review and holistic review that have brought those numbers up dramatically. And they are far better now uh, than they were in the immediate aftermath of 209 passing. The, uh, there is no way that Mr. Pan, who is a good guy, and I will ever come to agreement based on our differences about what public policy should be. I don't support discrimination. I don't support preferences. 
the language of 209 is very simple, and that is that it forbids discrimination by the government in three areas, public education, public contracting, and public employment, on the basis of those five factors that I've mentioned, race, sex, color, ethnicity, or national origin. Um, They will try to uh, portray this as just benign affirmative action. Nowhere in, in the language of our Constitution, put there by Proposition 209, uh, are the words affirmative action re- uh, prohibited? It forbids discrimination. It forbids preferences. And that's what it's about, rather than ending all affirmative action. Get a response from you on that, Vincent Penn? Well, that's just not how it's played out over the last 25 years. Um, I think that if you ask any policymaker, either at the local government or state government or within the higher education system, they know that we cannot have affirmative action. They know that we cannot take into consideration race and gender as, again, just one of many factors. I think that uh, uh, the reality is when you don't have these measures in place, we have a perpetuation of this systemic discrimination and the structural racism that tilts things to the advantage of wealthy white men. Uh, That's a system that we started with in this country, and that's what we have to try and undo. So. The private sector in California is allowed to pursue these programs. I believe 41 or 42 other states uh, in the United States are able to have these programs. So I do think like what we're suggesting, again, is to give first California voters the chance to decide. It's been a generation, and so this next generation ought to decide. And what they're deciding on is whether or not we should have one other tool to be able to try and take seriously the problems that we face around inequality in our society and to make a more meaningful difference. I'll go back to you, Ward Connolly. Go ahead. I'm I'm not going to uh, try to second-guess or defend what literally hundreds of government agencies in California will do. Uh, I'm just telling you what 209 allows and what it doesn't allow. It does not allow preferential treatment. The standards for admission to the University of California at Berkeley ought to be the same whether you are of uh, Chinese descent or whether you are of African descent or whether you have, you're of lettuce descent. shouldn't matter. And those who support proposition, who oppose Proposition 209 want the university, want government to make decisions on the basis of of uh, their ethnicity, their race, especially race. Um, And there is no way that we're going to resolve that. You either favor that or you don't favor it. I do not favor that. In a state as diverse as California, with the the variety of people all over the world coming to this great state, you can't have policies that are different for every demographic group. You just can't do it and maintain a civil society. So what that, is, what that results in, people who want to use race will expand the, uh, the use of race. They will uh, say that uh, the whole world is falling apart and we have to allow, allow the government to make decisions for us. I don't agree with that. I'm going to bring our listeners into this. I know many of you would like to weigh in and join our conversation with any questions or comments. What are your thoughts about Prop 209? And what do you think about the idea of repealing the ban? You can give us a call now, and I invite you to do that. Our toll-free number is 866-733-6786. Number again for your calls, 866-733-6786. Or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email questions you may have to forum at kqed.org. And uh, here's a listener question for you, Ward Connerly. Uh, Listener says, Mr. Connerly insists that we should not have preferences, but it's obvious that white men have received preferential treatment for centuries. So how can America rectify that? The old saying is you don't, the two wrongs don't make the right is apt in this case. We're not talking about the preferences that white men received or might have received 100 years ago or 50 years ago. We're talking about right now. 
in our time and in our place do we want our government discriminating against any of us and giving and applying different standards to all of us, given our diversity as we as we conduct our lives? I believe that it's morally wrong. It's going to harm a lot of people. Uh, Americans of Chinese descent have just as many obstacles as Americans of African descent. And our government, our government, should treat us all the same. I should mention that Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders also lost ground uh, in the decade uh, after 2009 uh, with UC admissions. But I want to go back to you on this, uh, if I may, uh, Vincent Pan. I want to get your response to um, a a listener named Radu who says, equal representation just means racial quotas, 10% black, 30% Latino, etc. Are we talking about racial quotas again in your judgment? No, that's patently false. And I think even Mr. Connerly would agree that the Supreme Court has been really clear and has made quotas unconstitutional across the entire country. So quotas cannot come back. Uh, I think where Mr. Connerly and I disagree is the notion of how discrimination works. Simply saying that there's no discrimination or that you know 209 banned discrimination uh, does not make it true. We know that since Prop 209 passed over a billion dollars a year, uh, were lost from women and minority-owned businesses in the state of California. So I think, like you know, if we take the idea that just ignoring the fact that there's already discrimination, um, we then understand that that discrimination will continue. So repealing 209 and passing ACA 5 again fundamentally is about fighting the discrimination that already exists in our society. I want to bring a caller on. First of all, we're going to hear from Denise, and Denise, join us. Uh, well, we're kind of leaving to hear from this caller first, if we may. Denise, go ahead. Hi, I'm Asian American, and I I think that the Assembly Bill does not protect my Asian American community from the use of race, which harms my community. I think that the Assembly Bill uh, pits one ethnic minority against another, and is not. Uh, it's, it's not accomplishing racial justice for my community. Thank you for that, Denise. Let me go back to Vincent Pan. Vincent? Well, obviously, uh, the, the, the caller and I disagree. You know, I think we, we know that uh, what 209 did was an outright ban, but ACA 5 would give voters a chance to decide. If voters, in fact, repeal 209, local communities, government, higher ed, UC, would all go back to their stakeholders and decide what, if any way, race or gender might be taken into consideration. Again, with the already uh, existing federal provisions around no quotas. All right, we're coming up on a break, but Ward Connolly, I know you wanted in. Go ahead, please. Well, Mr. Pan said that uh, quotas are uh, not allowed, that they're unconstitutional. He's right there. But as he also said, just because they're not permitted doesn't mean that government agencies uh, where race seeps out of every pore, uh, that they're not going to try to use them. And they will. And I've seen them used, and it's wrong. All right. It- We're going to have to uh, go to a break, but when we come back, we'll hear more from both of you, Ward Connerly with us and Vincent Penn. And you, our listeners, again, can join us toll-free at 866-733-6786. This is Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. You're listening to Forum on KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. I'm Michael Krasny. We're talking about Prop 209. Would you like to see affirmative action return in California? And if you would or wouldn't, uh, give us a call. Our toll-free number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Or email any questions you might have to forum at kqed.org. Read a couple of comments here. Regina writes, I listened to the assembly floor debate and vote. Legislators rose to the occasion and voted their conscience. It is time to overturn Prop 209. Affirmative action was a useful tool in leveling the playing field. It is needed once more to open up opportunities to unrepresented groups. I support letting voters have the chance to reconsider the effects of Prop 209. And Noel says, with today's SCOTUS ruling and now this, finally some good news. It's time for black and brown students to be fairly represented within the UC system. 
I'm going to go to your calls here, but let me first go back to Ward Connerly, who again is founder and president of the American Civil Rights Institute and a former UC regent. And he spearheaded Prop 209, uh, the campaign which ended in a, which ended affirmative action here in the state of California. I wonder, Ward, what you say to, well, a couple of things. Uh, Janet Napolitano recently, um, uh, who's head of the UC system, uh, was pointing out that you couldn't really factor in race even when uh, federal law allowed race because that was the rule in 209 which uh, obviated it. But also uh, income, when, when you talk about increasing diversity, um, there was an attempt to do that after 209 by uh, a number of things, which I'm sure you're well aware of, uh, increasing it through um, partnerships with K-12 schools, for example, to target underserved communities and expanded fundings for diversity programs, all of those kinds of things. Um, but they didn't really boost the numbers very much. Now, you said that there was a lowering initially, but then they, it seemed to creep up a bit. But in many people's minds, there simply isn't anything approaching equity. And I wonder what you say to that argument, that the needle hasn't moved really very much at all. Well, let's look at the reality here. California, contrary to what many of us believe intuitively, California's percentage of Americans of African descent or those of us who are, quote, black, is only 6% in this state. And that figure has not been increasing over the years. Now, when a student who is competitive at the level of going to the University of California, uh, primarily Berkeley, UCLA, and San Diego, you're talking about a student who has to be uh, competitive at a very high level. Unfortunately, and I say this as a black man, we are not as competitive uh, in terms of the numbers uh, alongside Americans of Asian descent primarily and, and whites to a lesser extent. We're just not competitive to get the numbers that the, the uh, gods in, at the university would like to see. Because when you reach that level, you have Harvard and Princeton and Yale and all of them attracting you, offering financial incentives to get you there. You have the historically black colleges and universities that are also attracting you. Americans of Asian descent, they don't have those kind of offers coming to them and the numbers that those of us who are black have. And as a result, that number is oppressed. It's 4%, uh, and that's about, what, a half or two-thirds of those that are competitively admissible coming to the University of California. That should not be regarded as institutional racism or systemic racism, as many are describing it. it is not, that's not what it is at all. It's the fact that if we want greater numbers of black kids going to Berkeley and UCLA, UCLA and San Diego, we as black people are going to have to be more competitive, place a greater emphasis on education, and get our kids prepared. We should not do so at the uh, sacrifice of people of uh, Chinese descent or other Asian descent who, on their own merits, uh, warrant the kind of numbers that they have. Yeah, you mentioned Harvard and Yale, though. Harvard and Yale can bring in race. Uh, they can consider race. In California, race can't be considered. They're, they're private. They are private. We're talking about public institutions. 209 only yeah. applies to public institutions. And as a public institution, there are a lot of international students who are admitted as well. But I want to get... Uh, <laughs> Uh, Vincent Pan into this again, and Vincent uh, Wenyan, uh, one of our listeners, says ACA 5 is about restoring government preferences based on race and sex, thereby legalizing discrimination. Proponents are falsely branding it as an affirmative action measure, but in reality, it violates the original definition of affirmative action. Well, again, that's not true, and I think what Mr. Connerly uh, just said points that out. This is all legal in the private sector. So when we want to see more diversity in our movies and our TV shows, you know, we take into consideration race, we take into consideration gender. When we want to see more diversity in corporate boardrooms or in the leadership of our companies, we take into consideration race and gender. You know, what we're saying is that if we want to see more 
women represented in the faculty ranks of UC. We want to see more people of color teaching in our K through 12 schools, which are predominantly K, uh, students of color. You know, we should be able to take into consider race and gender. So it is not anything uh, but trying to uh, address the systemic discrimination that's already in place. And again, it's just one tool to get at many other challenges, which I think, um, you know, Mr. Connolly and I agree would exist. But it is just one tool to be able to try and make a difference in multiple parts of our uh, uh, society. I want to bring a caller on. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I was just, okay. uh, you took a nice pause there. So I want to bring a caller aboard. And that's Beverly. Beverly, join us. Good morning. And I don't know what century Mr. Connolly is living in, but I can tell you there is disproportionately poor education in, in the black community. You cannot compare a public school in East Oakland with a public school in Piedmont. Those African-American children are not, it's not that they lack competitiveness, it's that they lack a, a good education. They can't, my son went to a private college because I was able to do that for him, he and his father. However, many of the children that we know and that I have worked with, their parents don't have the jobs or the education themselves to support their children to go to a school like UC Berkeley and to learn what competitiveness is. It is a market out there when your children are applying for colleges, and African-American boys are not getting that. They are underrepresented in the UC system, and Mr. Conley is completely ineffective and wrong when he says Asian students are coming in and they're competing. Those kids that are coming in from other countries are able to pay the tuition without financial assistance. UC Berkeley was found to have violated those kids, the African-American children's rights to apply for UC, and so he's completely, he's completely wrong when he says that they're not competitive. They're not competitive. Brown and black children aren't competitive because their parents are out working two or three jobs and cannot send them to summer camps that teach them how to learn technology. Those children are not allowed to go into uh, uh, private camps to learn math and science so that they can get a tech job in the future. Blacks are underrepresented in the tech community because they don't have the education to get them there in the first place. He's in another century, and we need to stop talking to Mr. Connolly and look at what's going on in black unemployment rates and why people are out on the streets today. He is out of date with today's society. Beverly, hold on. Let me get a response from Ward Connolly, and then we'll go back to you. Ward? Well, uh, Beverly, I, I hear your passion. Um, I have the same passion about this, but you really, as you talked about this, you kind of reinforced what I was saying, which is that there there are inequities, and the question is whether we ought to be using different standards to remedy those efforts or whether we ought to be attacking the problem at its basis. I'm not opposed to socioeconomic discrimination, I mean, uh, preferences. I'm opposed to something that over which we have no control, which is our color and our ethnic background and where our ancestors came from. Those should not be used against us. If you want to use socioeconomic factors, fine. But um, Winyan's daughter or, or anyone else's daughter should be entitled to the same protections of the law as uh, as my grandkids would. Beverly, are you still with us? I'm still with you. Yeah, well, you want to react to what you just heard from Warren? No, what he's talking about makes absolutely no sense because we're not talking. We don't have equal protection in the law. That is why we have protesters on the streets right now because we're not even protected by the police. The criminal justice system is flooded with African American and brown men because they are the they started on the trajectory from junior high school on up to going into the correctional system because they were dropouts and had poor education. It starts at the very beginning. There is not a direct route between the UC system uh, for black kids in the community or brown children to get into UC. I can tell you for a fact, I know many children who worked hard and maybe would have qualified for UC, but they couldn't afford to go there. And some children didn't even have the background to go there. You can't tell me a public school in San Lorenzo is comparable to a public school in County. And let me leave it there, Beverly, and I thank you for the call. I want to actually bring up something else that uh, is implicit in Beverly's remarks and go to you on this, Vincent Penn. Where do uh, white working class kids fit into this whole picture as far as affirmative action? Well, we know that race and, and class are always interconnected, but what we find is that when we just try to approach things using a socioeconomic lens, it's just not nearly as effective. And the most direct 
and effective way to deal with racism is to deal with race. The most effective way of dealing with patriarchy is to deal with gender. And that's what we've learned over the last 25 years. Uh, many, many folks have tried finding other proxies for race, and, and they just don't work. But you've heard uh, the think, argument, I'm, I'm sure, and, and I'd like your response to it, <clears throat> excuse me, the argument about a, a poor white kid as opposed to a rich black kid. Uh, should the rich black kid have an advantage simply because of black skin when he comes from an affluent background? Or see, that's a great hypothetical background? because I think, like, you know, all of it should be considered, right? And currently, the way the law is structured, you just can't consider race, that you can already consider uh, socioeconomic factors, you know, you know, Bringing back affirmative action would not change that. Uh, bringing back affirmative action would not change all the other things that are already considered, and whether that's other job qualifications, whether that's um, you know GPA. You know, all we're doing is saying that race and gender ought to be in the mix because they're certainly a big part of the way uh, society works. All right, here's another uh, Chinese American who writes us. Stephanie says, "I'm a first-generation Chinese American." who immigrated here from the Philippines. I got into college through affirmative action. I graduated in 1995, and Prop 209 was passed in 1996. I have spent the last 25 years fighting for social justice and equity, and now more than ever, it's time we bring back affirmative action. Let me bring another caller on. That's you, Rosalind. Thank you for waiting. You're on the air. Hello. Um, I understand that applicants are still given preference based on legacy of a parent has uh, graduated from the California system, they get some preferential treatment. And this, I would believe, would also disadvantage minorities since historically far more white people have graduated from the university systems. And uh, I'd like to see why it's acceptable to give preference to legacies uh, but not preference to people of color. I happen to be Caucasian myself, but I'm very concerned about this. It's an important question, and Ward Connolly, you were on the Board of Regents, and this argument often comes up. Uh, legacies get preference? Well, no, they don't. Not at the University of California. There were legacy, legacy preferences uh, until SP1 passed at the University of California, uh, and I know because I offered the motion which Jess Braven uh, seconded, to eliminate the use of legacy admissions at the University of California. So factually, that doesn't happen anymore. It did happen before. There, there was an incident at Berkeley in which the Sultan of Brunei made a large contribution to the university uh, in order to enable a loved one to be admitted. And we offered the resolution to eliminate these fat cat preferences and legacy admissions because people should be admitted on the basis of their own merit, not on the basis of their connections or, uh, or where their granddaddy went to college. Uh, and so that's no longer the case at the University of California. Let me read a comment from uh, a listener named Jay who says, uh, as a white man, I am in favor of giving preference based on race to those who have been historically discriminated against. An example from my history as a metal worker, if I want to bend a piece of metal to stand straight, I need to bend it further than straight to make it ease back to the correct position. A recent statistic on NPR was that poor black children have 10 times fewer opportunities than poor white children. Black lives need to matter more than they do. And a question for you, Vincent Pan, from a listener named Janelle, who says, who's organizing the movement to restore affirmative action? Is your speaker, Vincent Pan, part of a broader coalition? Yeah, so, you know, I'm part of a very broad coalition with people of all backgrounds, people who understand the way reality is for Californians and the need to fight discrimination and make opportunity for all first. You know, there is opposition in some parts of the Chinese uh, immigrant community. Uh, a lot of them, I think, are being uh, fed misinformation about quotas. Uh, a number of the leaders are uh, very partisan, uh, you know, tied to both Republicans and more far right-wing elements. Uh, and so I think that that's part of the equation. But, you know, it has also, I think, uh, distorted the debate to make it just about college admissions. When re in reality, it is much, much broader than that. It's about the way the state of California chooses to, to reckon uh, with, as your previous uh, caller mentioned, um, 
the way that California chooses to reckon with its history uh, of discrimination against all people of color, including Chinese Americans, uh, and the degree to which we want to be serious about addressing it. Let me go to another caller. Elisa joins us next from Oakland. Elisa, you're on. Hi, this is uh, Dr. Alicia Smith-Ariaga and from the Education Trust West. And I have some concerns about how much uh, the conversation is focusing on higher education admissions. You know, first, just to make sure we're using accurate data, before Prop 209 in 1996, the Asian, Asian American admissions rate at UC Berkeley was 32%. After Prop 209 in 1998, it was 30%. And currently at UC Berkeley, the Asian American admissions rate is 21%. So I think it's important to make sure we're having the conversation based on accurate data. Secondly, the focus on higher ed, as I mentioned before, is really disproportionate given that we know we cannot use um, race either in a lot of the conversations that are happening around K-12 education. So for instance, we know that we're facing a huge budget deficit this year as a state. We already know to some of the points made earlier that students of color face huge obstacles in K-12 education, yet we cannot target resources to them because of Prop 209. Um, and so I think it's really important that we really look at the impacts that ACA 5 can have not only on higher ed and make sure that we know that the facts we're using there are correct, but we also look at the impact that using ACA 5 can have on recruiting and retaining teachers of color allowing school districts to target services to the students that data tells us need it most. I thank you for those uh, remarks, Lisa, and I appreciate hearing from you. In fact, uh, getting a lot of uh, comments here, which also broaden the scope of understanding. Um, this is from Tracy, who writes, a history that a lot of white people don't know, myself included until recently, is that the GI Bill for veterans returning from World War II was essentially affirmative action for white people. Federally insured low interest home loans were explicitly not available for people who were black and federal funding for construction of housing developments, all of the suburbs was only given on the condition that no homes would be sold to people who were black. This history, the 1930s to the early 1970s needs to be known. Another listener says, I'm a doctor and South Asian. We need to overturn Prop 209 since we need a healthy workforce that represents our demographic in California. We need to know that COVID-19 has disproportionately impacted black communities, Latinx and native communities, and we need to focus on equity because our state and world is not equal. So in order to level the playing field, we need policies that focus on a diverse workforce. Our lives depend on it. And Javier says, I'm an American of Latin descent and passionately against affirmative action as described. I was the beneficiary of misguided attempts to, quote, help me when I didn't need it. However, I would be supportive of economics-based affirmative action. Poor people need assistance regardless of race or ethnicity. And here's Rebecca who writes, those of us in the non-white, non-male citizenry have been required since the beginning of time to prove a right to exist, required to bend to meet a standard that has never included us. Under that power and privilege, everything is viewed from only one perspective through the lens of white male entitlement. So let us get explicit and remove that lens with an amendment to the U.S. Constitution nullifying white male entitlement. Can anyone deny it is in there? Let's go back to this idea of white entitlement and white privilege. What do you say to that, Ward Connerly? Well, I think historically uh, there has been uh, not an entitlement, but there has been a uh, a preference accorded to people based on that characteristic. But I think that that is not the aspiration that we as Americans should have. I believe that for a diverse society such as ours, where people come here from all around the globe, settle in, the government should not be the arbiter of who gets to go to Berkeley and UCLA and San Diego and who gets what contract and who gets hired for whatever. The government should be an umpire that makes sure that we're all treated equally. As I listen to these good people that are calling in and supporting race preferences, it seems to me that they have a different perspective about what is in the best interest of our kids and our grandkids, the kind of society that we want to construct. Yes, there is still some discrimination. But that doesn't mean that we should legalize it and allow the government to engage in the distribution of preferences to people on the basis of their color, 
their ethnicity, uh, how they spell their last name, where their grandparents came from. Treat people the way you want to be treated, without discrimination and according to equal standards of the law. There's a line that uh, I'm sure you often hear, Vincent Penn, that comes from Reverend Martin Luther King, uh, doesn't want children to be judged or his children or children of the future, progeny, uh, by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. That's often used to support the kind of uh, argument you just heard from Ward Connerly. And you say what to that, if I may ask? I think it's offensive to use Dr. King's words in those ways. It turns upside down everything that he fought for. He was never arguing for willful ignorance. Uh, content of our character speaks to the type of society we want to create. It speaks to you know, true equality for all. Uh, we're not just talking about white privilege or white entitlement. We're talking about a country that was built on white supremacy, right? And if we're going to get real about solving the problems that people are in the streets trying to challenge, we have to get real about it. That means talking about race and gender honestly and allowing our public sector to be able to do that just as the rest of us are. Vincent Panigan is co-executive director of Chinese for Affirmative Action and co-chairs Opportunity for All Coalition, which is leading the community effort to pass ACA 5. And Tony is with us next. Tony, join us. Good morning. Uh, thank you. Uh, this is Tony from Sunnyville. Uh, I'm strongly opposed to the ACA 5 because uh, it, uh, the whole ACA 5 thing is based upon inaccurate data. In fact, under representatives of the minorities, uh, have seen a lot of gains in enrollment at the UC and CSE. Uh, CSU with uh, uh, all the current, even existing, post diversity efforts already. So, and uh, also, uh, even in government employment, uh, a study a research by the Berkeley Law School shows that right now, um, black communities are holding government jobs. The percentage is 11%, percent, right? So, if you open the door of having ACA 5 to enforce um, any ratio, or even you don't see that it's ratio. Now, when you do it actually, then uh, considering the black uh, community only uh, consists of 6% of the whole population of California, then how much more black jobs you are going to cut based on your ACA 5 permits? Okay, it's not having us underrepresented minorities, in fact, it will hurt all the races in, uh, in uh, California. Stop Let me go to the heart of your question, it. Tony. Let me get a response from Vincent Pan about the, what you've brought up here about advances and possibly curtailing them with ACA 5. Vincent Pan? Well, what ACA 5 would do, first of all, it would put uh, a voter initiative on the ballot in November. Um, you know, that's the first thing it does. The second thing is if voters do approve that, it simply makes it legal for the state entities and the, the local governments and, and education systems uh, to be able to pursue programs that consider race and gender. So ACA 5 does not mandate anything. Right? It simply says that local governments and all their entities uh, can kind of figure out the best way to address the specific challenges that they think they need to address. Right? So there's nothing that would undo progress in places where there's been progress, you know, and I think that it is uh, very, very reasonable to look at the data for very different parts of the state and to acknowledge that, yes, there have been progress in some places, but overall, there's still so much more that we can do that we're not making the types of, of advances nearly as fast as we can. Well, I know Ward Connerly may want to respond to that, but first, Ward Connerly, a, a tweet from a listener, and I just like your response to this. Uh, this listener says, it's been a generation. Let's give voters a chance to decide if we can have one other tool to address systemic inequality in California. What about that reasoning that maybe a whole generation has passed its time to reassess and allow voters to decide again? My rights, your rights, the rights of every person in California should be sacred. We shouldn't have to go to the polls to, uh, to, to defend them. They're sacred. We don't want to go back and change the American Constitution, the Declaration of Independence. We can't change that. I don't want to change it. We're a nation which says that, it, that you are entitled to equal treatment of the law. If it is not being fairly distributed now, let's change that. 
but I don't see anything in our country, in our state, that is forbidding a person who is black or whomever to compete alongside someone who is of Asian descent and going to the University of California at Berkeley and Los Angeles and and, uh, San Diego. Those are the three prime ones. Now, Mr. Penn, uh, whom I've never met before, is a very accomplished, he's a good guy. But you'll notice in his explanations, he's using a lot of weasel words about the university considering and taking into account 209, the language of that of, of 209, says discrimination and preferences. Those are the things that we're talking about. And if you eliminate those provisions, the language of 209, you are allowing our government all across this great state to discriminate and to give preferences. We're legalizing discrimination by, by if we eliminate Proposition 209. And no, we have is- to leave it there, Ward. I'm sorry to say uh, we started with Vincent Pan and we'll end with you, but I want to thank both our guests, Ward Connerly, founder and president of American Civil Rights Institute, former UC Regent, and Vincent Pan, who's co-executive director of Chinese for Affirmative Action and co-chair of the Opportunity for All Coalition. Appreciate you two gentlemen being with us. Appreciate you, all of our listeners uh, who participated and who have been listening. You always can let us know what you think about what you hear on Forum by emailing forum at kqed.org. And for all of us here at KQED, I'm Michael Krasny. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.